God breaks into Abram's life out of seemingly nowhere and calls him to go to a land that he knows not. But he gives them this, this promise that I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And that was apparently enough for Abram to follow God. But this is the beginning of his relationship with God. We could say, well, I mean, come on, is he not going to bless Abraham if he doesn't follow him? Like, well, I don't know. That wasn't part of the proposal. The proposal was, you come and follow me and I will do this. And this is kind of a foreshadowing of the sacramental system. The sacraments are sure signs of God's activity, that God shows up in those moments. What we do with them is the fruitfulness of the sacrament. Because that's what we've been talking about. How come a sacrament can happen, but I don't experience the fruit of that sacrament? It's most clearly illustrated in the sacrament we spoke of last week, Holy Communion, because Holy Communion happens on the altar by virtue of the priesthood and the words he says over the bread. Transforms the bread into the body of Christ. But... That validity doesn't magically make your life transform you more into Jesus, which is the the goal of the sacrament. So there's the validity, there's the fruitfulness. It's dependent on your desire, your disposition. And so we see this in each sacrament, that it has something to do with relationship. And today I want to speak about baptism, which Holy Communion is about friendship. Confession, friendship. Baptism, friendship. This is actually where the friendship begins. This is where God reaches down from heaven like he calls to Abram and says, I want you to belong to me. Do you want to walk in that relationship? Okay, before we dive in, pun intended, let's do a little pop quiz. Okay, I know you didn't expect a pop quiz, but here it goes. So, in the hit movie that came out in 2006, starring Jack Black, Nacho Libre. Who's seen it? Nacho Libre? Anybody? Yep. Don't be embarrassed. Okay. Um, the, the, the lead character, played by Jack Black, he's worried about his friend's salvation because he's not baptized. So he sneaks up behind him and he baptizes him in a bowl of water. Okay. Is that a valid baptism, but unfruitful? Or is it merely an invalid baptism? So either it counts, but it's not going to do anything, or it doesn't even count. Okay, so I'm going to have you raise your hand for fruitless sacrament. Who thinks it's a fruitless sacrament? It counts, but it's not going to do anything in this guy's life. Okay? And if you think it just doesn't count at all, raise your hand. Invalid sacrament. Okay, a little bit more for the, the invalid sacrament. So it would be an invalid sacrament. It didn't count. Why? Because if baptism is about a relationship with God, you can't force somebody into a relationship. You can't trick them into a relationship. Any more than you can trick somebody or force somebody into marrying you, God can't trick or force you to walk in friendship with him. It's it's necessary that I desire that as well especially for baptism, which is the, the gateway to all the other sacraments, all the entire life 
of grace is dependent on it. This is why it's so important to get a valid sacrament. This is why sometimes we hear these things in the news that come out about this priest baptizing, saying, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or these churches who would go baptize in the name of the Creator, the Sanctifier, and the Redeemer, or places that would baptize and water wouldn't touch the head, and the church keeps coming and saying, no, that's, that's not it. That doesn't count. You've got to redo it. There's a priest back in Detroit who I knew who found out after he was ordained, a year or so after he was ordained, that he was baptized invalidly. And so what had happened to happen? Well, he had to get baptized and then confirmed and then ordained and then they had to track down all the people who he had done sacraments for and get them up to speed. And that can seem like a lot of legalism, like, ah, come on, I mean, God... God, can, God doesn't need our perfection to get the sacraments right. No. And St. Augustine said, God's not bound by the sacraments, but he's bound himself to the sacrament. And so the sacrament is for us. It's for us to know with certainty that God has acted. We don't have to wonder. When we baptize the right way, we don't have to wonder, did, did God show up? Does my child have sanctifying grace? Will they go to heaven if they die right now? We know that. Does God work outside of the sacraments? Sure, all the time, but I just don't, I just don't know when or where or how. I can't guarantee it. Is God gonna, what's God going to do with all those people who are baptized invalidly? I don't know. He'll figure it out. But I don't want to wonder. I just want to do it right. And it's so simple. Let's just do it right. So for, for the validity of any sacrament, and we'll put it in the context of baptism, you need the proper form, so the proper words. And these are the words that were handed down to us from ancient times, from apostolic times. So we don't say, well, let's, let's switch it up. Well, let's not switch it up. That's apparently what Jesus handed down to the apostles. Let's, let's keep that. So the proper form, the proper matter, the proper stuff, water. Can I baptize with beer? Eh, how, about, how about no? Let's, uh, let's just do water. That sounds, that sounds good. Okay, water. And where? Pour the water on the head. Why? Well, because that's, what, that's what's been handed down to us. Can we pour it on the big toe? Well, I mean, maybe if the person was trapped under a truck and that was all you could get to, you could pour it on the big toe and hope for the best. But if I have the head available, we're going to go with the head. All right. And you have to have the proper recipient for the sacrament. The proper recipient for baptism is somebody who's not baptized yet. That's, that's, about, that's about it. Although if they've reached the age of reason, they have to desire the sacrament. You can't force this upon them. Uh, and then you have to have the proper minister of baptism. And in this case, it's a deacon or a priest or, in the case of necessity or emergency, anybody can baptize. Even somebody who themselves is not baptized. So important is the sacrament of baptism. So those of you who are maybe a, a nurse or medical professional, if you came across a child who was dying, you could baptize that baby water on the forehead in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and that child would be baptized. Or if, if your own child, if you had a, a, a dangerous pregnancy or something, something went wrong, that is a valid sacrament and something that you should do and something that I know people who have done, people in our own parish. And the last thing is the intention of the minister, which is merely, I am intending to do what is done. If your four-year-old baptizes your one-year-old because they're, you know, playing church, that's not really a valid baptism because they're playing, not doing. Okay. 
So the validity of the sacraments is, is, is important because it gives us confidence that God has acted. But what about the fruitfulness of the sacrament? Well, we have to, we have to desire to live what that sacrament has given us. Well, what's the sacrament of baptism given us? Well, it does several things. One, it wipes away all sin, original sin and any personal sin. So somebody who's baptized as an adult, all the sins they've ever committed are wiped away. Constantine, the emperor who legalized Christianity back in the fourth century, he waited until his deathbed to get, to get baptized. Why? Because he had to kill a lot of people and do a lot of bad stuff. And he's like, you know what? I better just, I just, I just better get this all wiped away. I'm just going to wait and wait. So he's hedging his bets and he's playing with fire and I don't recommend that. But it worked for him. Wipes away all sin. Okay. Uh, it, it, it infuses sanctifying grace, which is the life of God himself. Gives us the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Gives us the other, the other virtues, the other things we need to, to live the, the life of faith, the life of grace. Snatches us from the power of Satan and puts us into the hands of God. In other words, it adopts us as God's children. By our baptism, we too hear those words from the Father, this is my beloved son, my beloved daughter. Sometimes we can, we can make baptism into this mere ceremony that kind of brings us into the church, which is true, except if we mean by church, well, I'm on the official registry and now I'm allowed to receive the uh, weekly e-blast, well, that's not quite what it does. It brings us into the mystical body of Christ, which is the church. St. Paul says that we're incorporated into Christ and into his death and resurrection. We now have the dignity of sons and daughters of God and the promise of eternal life. Go back to Abraham. Abraham, I'm calling you, come follow me and I'm gonna bless you. You're gonna be part of my family. This is, what's, this is what's being offered to us in baptism, to be part of God's family and to share all the other things that go along with that, the blessings, the, the, the meal, the, the protection, all the things that go along with being in God's family, being his sons and daughters. Now, this should bring up a question to us. If I need to desire baptism or I can't be validly baptized, then how is it that we can baptize infants? They don't get to make that choice. Doesn't that seem like we're imposing something on them? Well, if we understand baptism in the context of relationship, it makes perfect sense because your kids didn't choose you as their parents. That was a relationship that you gave them. Your kids didn't choose their brothers and sisters as their brothers and sisters, and probably they wouldn't have. <laughs> but that was a relationship that they were born into. And if the parents say, hey, our family walks in relationship with God, and all of our kids are gonna grow up in that relationship, then it makes perfect sense, logical sense, and is unfathomable otherwise not to baptize our children immediately after they're born. Not only because they're gonna grow up in that relationship, but we want the benefits of the sacrament. 
We want them snatched from the power of the evil one and put into the household of God. And so this is why the church exhorts us to have our children baptized quickly after after birth, within a few weeks even. So, this, this should help to clarify the, the question that some of you have asked me. Some of you have uh, come into this, this problem of, what do I do with my grandbabies? My kids aren't baptizing them. I know this is, this is hard, this is sad, right? But we look at it again. I can't impose a relationship onto them. If my kids aren't raising them in the faith, I can't force that on them. It'd be kind of like signing adoption papers and leaving your children in the orphanage because they're not growing up in the relationship that you've adopted them into. And so in those situations, as hard as they are, we entrust them to the Lord and we keep our prayers coming for them so that one day they will enter into the household of God, the family of God. Remembering that God does work outside of the sacraments. We don't know how and when. We can't be assured of it but we can be confident in his love. You love your grandchildren. He loves them more. The best thing we can do for them, for our children, for our friends, our family, all those who have walked away from their their baptism, who have walked away from relationship with God, or who have never entered into relationship with God, is to live fully the dignity that we have as sons and daughters of God this great high dignity, this great high calling to live it in an attractive and beautiful way, knowing that I'm blessed, knowing that God is walking with me, knowing that God is leading me somewhere beyond this valley of tears. When I live that in an attractive way, the, the grace of my baptism, it wasn't a one-time ceremony that happened a long time ago, but it was that moment when God called you son, when he called you daughter, and he continues to call you son, and he continues to call you daughter. And if we are sons and daughters of the king of the universe, then we're princes and princesses, and we should hold our heads high. And every time we walk into the church, we have holy water there, and it reminds us of our baptism. It reminds us of our dignity in Christ. And it strengthens us to live in that. And we, we all know we have different relationships that have, that have gone awry or need work. And we can look at our own relationship with God and say, okay, yeah, what, do, what do I need to do? How do I need, how do, what do I need to do to get a closer relationship with you? And the sacraments we've been speaking of are those, those means. I got to go back to confession. I got to go to confession more often. I got to receive communion in a worthy way and desire the fruits of it. I got I to serve and fight for Christ. I got to seek opportunities to be his light in this world. If we're all living in that dignity then so too does our light shine forth in the way that at Jesus' transfiguration, light bursts forth out of him. And that's the light of the world. That's the light that transforms. That's the light that illumines the darkness. Let's ask the Lord to re-enkindle the light 
of our own baptism. As we anticipate and look forward, as we walk through the darkness of Lent, anticipating the the light of the Easter vigil, let's ask the Lord to to fan into flame a deeper, deeper fire, deeper light, deeper uh, conversion for each one of us so that we can truly live as we have been called to be the sons and daughters of God.